Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Akshay Nanavati, author of Fearvana. Hey, people, this is Dean Carnassus. I'm the author of the new Chicken Soup for the Soul book, Running for Good. Hey, this is Aaron Hale with Extraordinary Delights. And if you want to learn how to build better relationships, and if you want to learn how to become a professional connector, you should listen to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel. Travis Chapel. My good friend and my brother, Travis Chapel. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place, because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. I'm really excited that we're actually doing these mashup episodes again. Uh, before, we were we were doing just interviews, and then we switched to doing the mashup shows and the Freestyle Fridays, and then we went back to doing just interviews, and now we're doing the mashups again. And uh, it's something that I'm really excited about because we always seem to get really great feedback on these episodes, and uh, for good reason. Uh, there's so many just jam-packed gems in these, episode, in, in these episodes from some of the best guests that we've had on the show. So on this episode, we are talking about mastering mind and body, and uh, we are bringing on three of the most well-known experts in this space uh, to talk a little bit about that. So the first one is going to be with Akshay Nanavati. Akshay is a good buddy of mine, uh, somebody that I actually interviewed back in the day on my show, like in the first month or two of the show starting, I, I was able to interview him and then we've been able to keep in touch over the years. But Akshay runs ultra marathons all the time. Uh, he is somebody that was used a addiction that he had early on in his life to fuel him to really get addicted to the opposite of 
what he was addicted to in the first place, which was, you know, bad things. He started getting addicted to good things and just went all in on working out and on becoming the best version of himself that he can possibly be. He even went on a seven day darkness retreat, seven days, complete darkness, complete silence. Um, I think he got one shake per meal. So like three shakes a day. And, uh, and that was it. So he just does some crazy things. He pushes the limits on his mind, pushes the limits on his body. Um, he's always somebody that I, that I really enjoy hearing from. And we have Dean Carnazis. Dean is just an absolute monster. This guy, uh, this guy has run so many ultra marathons and actually won some of the craziest ones out there. If, you, if you're familiar with David Goggins and, and his book, then you'll know what the Badwater race is a, a, across the uh, across Death Valley. Um, I believe it's over 200 miles uh, is is the is the length of that race, which is absolutely insane. And it's it goes through Death Valley, the hottest place in the world, and then ends up on the, like the peak of this mountain. It's just crazy that this guy, Dean actually has won that race and then done so many other just crazy feats of, uh, just pushing his physical limits beyond anything that anybody really ever does. And such an interesting conversation, which I know that you guys really enjoy. And then the last one is with Aaron Hale and Aaron was somebody uh, in all the episodes I've ever done on the show. Aaron's one of the only people that I've ever come close to or actually teared up during the interview. Uh, listening to his story is absolutely incredible. He was, um, he was disarming a, an explosive device over in, I think Afghanistan or Iraq, one of the two. And it exploded in his face, essentially had to get reconstructive surgery and all these things, um, ended up, uh, basically going blind after the explosion and didn't let that keep him down and started going on the, all these crazy trips and excursions and, uh, uh started, uh, did a kayaking trip down the Gan the, the, the Grand Canyon. He, uh, started climbing mountains as a blind person. And then he had a trip on his schedule to go to Mount Kilimanjaro to, uh, climb Mount Kilimanjaro with a, with a few friends. And a week or two before that trip, he contracted spinal meningitis, I believe, through a crack in his skull that happened during the explosion uh, when he was over in the Middle East, and he actually went completely deaf for the next six or seven months. So for six or seven months, he lived in complete darkness and silence without choosing to do so. And the story that he has of coming back from that and and uh, the implants that he was able to get and the business now that he started and just the way that his life has absolutely thrived in a situation that would obviously uh, take most people out of the race completely. So um, these are three, three, uh, three people that I just really, really respect, to be honest with you all listening. I just respect these people so much and I can't wait for you to hear everything that they have to say. Um, but first really quickly, if you are listening to this and you want to start your own podcast, uh, definitely something that me and my team can help you out with head over to travschapelcom slash make my podcast, uh, there's a quick application. And, uh, after that application, we'll jump on a quick phone call and see if my team would be a good fit to build out your show for you. So now without any further ado, here is mastering mind and body featuring Akshay Nanavati, Dean Karnazes, and Aaron Hale. When do you think it is time to throw in the towel on certain mm. things, right? Because, uh, you know, That's persistence good. and things, they're definitely rewarded. And I'm a very big yeah. fan, obviously, with, the, with you know, my door-to-door sales background, like persistence yeah. is a big part of my DNA. But at the same time, yeah. sometimes, you know, you're just doing the wrong thing and you shouldn't be doing it anymore. How, totally. how, do you know when, how do you know when you are making the right decision to throw in the towel versus 
I should just remain in this and stay persistent? Yeah, no, it's a fantastic question. Um, you know, I think a big, big part of it is constantly getting the feedback, the external and the internal feedback, analyzing that feedback. So it's not just because a big part of it, sometimes what happens is we're running around like a chicken with his head cut off, just, you know, blindly inactivity versus purposeful action and exercising the feedback based on constantly getting the awareness, the intel on the situation. So I'll give you a very concrete example. I was mountaineering in Nepal. Uh, This was the second time I had been in the Himalayas. First time we made it to the summit, climbed to about just under 21,000 feet. Second time, we were on the mountain and the snow was way deeper than we expected. So, I mean, we were struggling, battling the snow. It started getting late afternoon and we could see avalanche cracks in the snow. And we were like 100 feet, maybe 150, 200 feet from the summit. You could see the summit right there. Hmm. Now, late afternoon, you do not want to be uh, towards the summit, not to mention we're seeing avalanche cracks, right? So, now this is a fine line. Obviously, you want to go to the summit, right? But right. what do you do? So, th- and here's the thing. I could have made it to the summit and come back alive and, uh, you know, great. I made it to the summit. Awesome. But at this, uh, but you, could have, you could have kept fighting and then the avalanche could have happened. But you never know, right? The hindsight's twenty right. twenty. So right. we made the call to, to quit, I guess, to retreat, if you want to call it that. And I have zero regrets about it. Zero regrets that we did not make the summit. So we gather the intel from the environment based on knowledge on like, you know, what, like, I mean, the fact that I was able to read the avalanche cracks, right? Because I knew a little bit about that. I had studied it. So gathering the intel, getting the feedback, internal and external, starting from people who are more advanced than you along the path. So having mentors, having coaches is invaluable on the journey, getting a sense of that. And then, you know, it's again, it's a fine line. It's like, uh, I mean, this is, you see this on, again, coming back to the mountaineering analogy, you see this on Everest all the time. It's like, you know, that summit is right there. Do I keep going? And if you do and you make it back, you're a hero. But if you do and then, you, you know, the other, other on the flip right. side, you, you don't make it back. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I just say gathering that feedback and a relentless practice of self-awareness. So when you're taking action, come back and reflect on that action. It's not mm-hmm. just like blind, purposeful action, right? Action, awareness, action, awareness, looking to reflect. And then you got to make a call. It's, there's no sort of right answer. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a individual path. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like, like, like hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent 
fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, sure. And I think, I think one big thing too, one big caveat is that you have to be okay with the results, whatever the decision that you mm-hmm. make. I think a lot of people Absolutely. get too much in their head afterwards and start this spiraling, yeah, you know, good point. state of regret, you know, like you could be, you, you could have a totally different attitude about what you just said. You could be like, Hey, I like, man, I regret it so much. I wish we would have just gone to the peak. I wish we would have just gotten yeah. the extra 200 feet. I wish we wouldn't have retreated when we did. I wish, you know, like you can, you can beat yourself up for the decision yeah. you made, but in reality, you just have to look at it and know that like, Hey, I made the best decision with the information that it, I had. Exactly. Time. And if put in the same position again, I would probably make the same decision again. And sometimes you just have to be okay with it and be okay with sometimes maybe it was a wrong decision, you know? And I'm not saying that you're in your case, it was, I would have done the same thing you did, but I'm saying, no, I feel you general, like you have to be okay with the fact that, Hey, sometimes I'm going to make the wrong decision, but uh, that's all part of the journey. If I could make the right decision every time, that would be great. But it's just, it's not realistic. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That of yourself is only going to make you disappointed in yourself more often and not happy. Absolutely, man. Great point. And then just take the lessons and move on, right? Like, I mean, it's that mountain is not the first time I've failed at something, you know what I mean? So, uh, and it won't be the last. (laughs) One that point that a lot of people don't think about is, you know, you said people just get tired and they, you know, they just kind of follow the routine. They get up every morning and they, you know, they shave, they go to the office, they come home, they're exhausted. Um, Physical health really matters because to to set your own course through life, you need energy. <laughs> hmm. uh, you know, you, you definitely need to be physically fit. I found that people that have their physical health are much more energetic in pursuing their goals. Uh, otherwise, you know, if you're tired and lethargic all the time, you just kind of fall into a rut hmm. and just kind of scrape, scrape by every day. Yeah. And a lot of people, unfortunately, I think live their lives like that. They, you know, they get in the car, it's a horrible commute. You know, they, they grind it out at the office. They might even be doing well at the office. And they come home, they're just exhausted. You know, they want to have a beer and eat pizza on the couch. And they fall yeah. asleep and get up the next day and do that. And I always tell people, you know, start by reclaiming your health. It might be counterintuitive. Like if I'm spending more time running or more time in the gym, you know, how is that advancing where I want to go? It's giving you more energy overall. And I think more physical energy uh, is just, it's going to help you get to where you want to go. For sure. And I think it builds the habit of improving yourself and doing things, making the difficult choices. Instead of coming home and drinking beer and eating pizza, you come home and drink water and have a salad. Like that's a decision that you used to make that was bad and bad for you, bad for your health, bad for your family, bad for your longevity. Like it's bad in a lot of different ways. And you change that habit from making the easy bad decision into making the more difficult but good decision. And that habit is a habit that will, you know, take that that you can take into any aspect of your life, regardless of what it is. And I think the health is one of the most black and white ways to start building those kinds of habits. Um, And since we're talking about this now, I want to get into the the running that you do, Dean, because this this is really, uh, like I was telling you before I hit the record button, I've been going through David Goggins' book recently, Can't Hurt Me. And the dude just has an incredible story and uh, talks about um, all the things that he went through before he started running these ultras and doing all these, you know, long races and stuff. 
And, um, and up to that point, you're thinking like, man, how much more physical, you know, turmoil can this guy go through? And then he runs his first ultra and realizes that it's a completely different game, even from like seal training and the stuff that he had gone through already. Um, and so when, when, uh, you and I booked this chat, I was really excited to talk to you about this because something that's been on, on the forefront of my mind recently. Can you talk about a, a little bit into, um, what, what was your drive behind like going from running a marathon, you know, 26, 27 miles, uh, whatever the exact number is, and then going into running these ultra marathons where it's literally hundred mile plus races. What was the, what was the driving factor, the driving force behind that decision? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the a company I work with called the North face, they have a really uh, great motto, never stop exploring. And I had this, you know, the, I've always had this sense of exploration and exploration for me is, you know, what is the limit of human endurance? Like how far can we push our bodies uh, before we break? And so I ran a marathon, as you said, and then I heard about this thing called an ultra marathon. I I came across these two guys that were going to run a 50 mile race and I couldn't wrap my head around it. I thought, hold it, 50 miles. No, no human can run 50 miles nonstop. And they said, yeah, that's, that's the plan. So I found out where this race was. I thought, I got to, I got to try this. I got to throw myself into it. Uh, you know, I signed up for the race. Um, I somehow finished the first 50 mile race. And this is back in uh, uh, 1992, you know, not to date myself, but it's a, it's, <clears throat> it's a long time ago. And so at the finish of the 50 mile race, I see these guys I had met who told me about it and they're high-fiving, in, you know, in the finisher's tent saying, we qualified, we qualified. And I'm thinking, you know, you qualified for an insane asylum? I mean, what did you qualify for? <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was, that was I'm glad to be alive. And they said, no, we, uh, we qualified for the Western States 100 mile endurance run. And I said, wait, a hundred miles. Are you, <laughs> are you serious? And the guy's like, yeah, you run a hundred miles. It starts at uh, a ski resort in Lake Tahoe. You run to the very top of the ski resort. Okay. And then so this one has been a long time coming, miles and I'm on a wilderness to trail through the mountain. New company, world class. You, know, you run all night. You put on a headlamp. You podcast coaching consulting for individuals and businesses for the last couple of years. Over the river. last few months, I just haven't been able to keep up with the requests. So in order to serve more people, I've decided to stop taking on coaching clients and start an agency that creates a done-for-you podcasting solution as well as making production and producing services. So if you are a business owner, coach, consultant, entrepreneur, real estate investor, whatever it may be, then a podcast should be I actually finished the race and it was just such arsenal. an expansive Imagine experience because it, it went beyond, it transcended running, even when you're sleeping, you know, it was, it was you right. to connect with yeah. big and possible, yeah, it was a big and possible thing that I somehow pulled out. I achieved it. Listeners right. And those lessons were so, it's, you know, they translated into everything. They have to do with life, you know, business, with everything. Yeah, that's what, exactly what I was about to say is like, the crazy thing about those races is that, yes, it is a lot of physical, but it's, it changes the game from like a marathon where it's like, okay, how much did you train? Are you physically prepared for this? To like those hundred mile races are a mental game. Just focus on what you do best. You can't train enough to be like ready for one of those to make it a breeze on race day. It's going to be a mental game the whole time. And that's what I find most fascinating about it. And so from there, this was like 92, 93 timeframe you said? So from there, can you build out kind of a timeline? Because you've done since then some amazing feats. I mean, running 50 marathons in all 50 U.S. states in 50 consecutive days. Like, that's absolutely insane. And then winning the world's toughest foot race, the Badwater Ultra Marathon, and 135 miles nonstop through 
Death Valley in the middle of summertime. And that that's a, a race that um, that David talks about in his book as well. Um, and so I, I, I know that that's something that's like really, really well known in that world. And, and you were actually winning that race. So build, build a little bit of a timeline here um, for some of these like major accomplishments and just walk us through what the thought process was. Yeah, so on that same theme of Never Stop Exploring, I, I finished this 100-mile race, and I thought, wow, that was amazing. Um, you know, can, can you possibly go further than that? And I learned of this race called the Badwater Ultra Marathon, which, as you said, is a 135-mile foot race um, from the lowest point in the Western Hemisphere, which is Badwater, which is right in the middle of Death Valley, not far from Las Vegas, actually. And it finishes on the highest point in the contiguous U.S., which is Mount Whitney. So the idea is to run from the lowest point to the highest point, uh, nonstop, 135 miles, and they hold the race in July <laughs> when it's very, very hot in Death Valley. So it's, it's un, you know, you're not only running this extreme distance, you're running in the most extreme elements on Earth. You know, the highest recorded temperature ever on the planet Earth was in Badwater. It was 134.6 degrees. Wow. And, you know, people say, wow, you know, it was 100 degrees today, and I, I tried to go jogging. It was impossible. You know, imagine running 135 miles in 130-degree temperatures, and that's the Badwater Ultra Marathon. You know, soon enough, I was throwing the luggage back in the, 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 the armored truck uh, our team uses, and I was leaving the airfield and going back out to our command outpost uh, to, to get back to work. And along the way, uh, on the convoy, convoy commander calls back over the radio and says, EOD, there's something in the road up here. I want you to take a look at it. And, you know, toss that luggage off of the robot in the back, toss the robot out of the, the truck, and we got to work. And tell, tell, me, tell me, like, what, what, like, what exactly does that mean, we got to work? What, what, like, what were you doing? Well, there wasn't much time to switch from vacation mode to battlefield mode. Um, I was right, you know, uh, right back on the job, and the robot uh, went down and does its, you know, whenever possible, we we send the robot down uh, to ins- uh, inspect before we do everything remotely if possible. Mm. Yeah, we don't yeah. want to do anything hands on if we can avoid it. So we send the robot down and it finds what 99% of all the IEDs in Afghanistan were, at least at the time, were these jugs, like oil jugs, uh, you know, it's five liter jugs of uh, uh, homemade explosive uh, with a lamp cord connected to a, a cheap piece of uh, plywood as a pressure plate and a nine volt battery. That's, that's it. Uh, the the robot took the pressure plate and you know pulled it away from the uh, the rest of the the wiring so it was separated uh, the switch was gone but the it couldn't get the rest of the ID the the, the heavy packed dirt kept uh, the real explosive uh, stuck in the ground hmm. and and one of the one of our primary jobs besides you know making sure we mitigate the hazard right there is that we want to collect evidence to send up. Yeah, we've got the the whole alphabet soup represented represented on the battlefield for FBI, CIA, ATF, and we send all of the evidence we can uh, from biometrics, electronics, uh, chemical analysis, 
so we can, you know, to these guys so that we can get to the bomb makers, the financers, all of that before the next IED can get back onto the battlefield. Right. So my job was, you know, I put, you know, I had to go get that stuff, go get that, uh, um, uh, evidence. So I jumped out of the, the truck and I started making my way towards the IED and about, uh, 20 meters from the original IED, a secondary device had detonated and sent me into the sky. I, uh, landed on my knees and elbows, the lights went out and I was still conscious, but, uh, I couldn't see. I first thought that my, my helmet had been pushed over my face. Hmm. Uh, and, um, I first did the, the, the functions check, wiggled the fingers and the toes, the elbows and knees and found that everything was more or less intact. So I reached up to fix my helmet to find that my helmet was gone. Wow. And that's when I thought, that's when I thought, Oh no, this is bad. The army's going to want that back. <laughs> That was the first thought. Yeah. Super concerned about the, about losing your helmet. So talk to me now, like, did you immediately realize like, this is going to affect me for the rest of my life? Or were you hopeful that, you know, Hey, maybe after a day or two, I'm going to start getting some of these things back. I held a loose hope. Uh, you know, I, I damage is, is a nasty thing. You know, they, they, they preach, uh, wearing eye protection, safety glasses everywhere at all times on the battlefield. No matter if you're going to the chow hall or you're going into a fight, the, everybody wears eye protection. And, uh, man, everything that was on my head just gotten blasted right off. Uh, so um, I'd, I'd known it was going to be bad. So there was some permanent damage there. I was hoping that I would you know, be able to see when I got, you know, when the doctors got to me. Within 48 hours, I was, uh, I was at Walter Reed. And multiple surgeries later, the the hope was gone. It was dashed. Uh, they said, you know, one eyeball was completely gone. Uh, the eyelids were even fused together in a permanent wink. Uh, and the other uh, eyeball had a, such a severe gash in it that repair was impossible. Hmm. So I'd, uh, I'd also, uh, you know, lost, I'd, I'd uh, blew up both my eardrums. I had cracks in my skull to the point where I was leaking spinal fluid right out of my nose. Wow. And um, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Like, how, how am I going to be a blind man? How do I do what, how can I be me? Be yeah. a father, be a soldier. Um, it was some tough, tough things to face. And, uh, you know, those demons, they, they, they well, you know, in, in the you know, hospital bed, they try to creep in. So, so you now obviously you're coming home, right? Um, uh, you are at the point where you just don't know what's what's next. So, talk to me about how you were able to overcome something that happened, you know, tragically in your life, and turn it into, um, you know, turning. You, you're like the prime example of somebody who turns their mess into their message, turns something un- that's seemingly super unfortunate on the outside and turns it into something that benefits you for the rest of your life. H- how do you reframe that at the time? It- it- was there a period of time where you were just like pissed off at the world and didn't want to talk to anybody? And like, did you go through that phase at all? Or was it immediately just like, I, I can't, I can't, I can't go down this, this spiral because I don't know if I'm going to come out. Well, I definitely realized the peril in going into that spiral and the, the self-loathing, the self-pity. Uh, 
becoming a victim. And now that doesn't mean that I didn't have some really awful days. Yeah. But, uh, uh, I, I, I looked at it. It was, it was absolutely the military training. It was without a doubt, the support of my family. Uh, there were many veteran service organizations and the support of, uh, the military while I was injured, but it was the military training that in that mindset perspective that it had given me that said that you, you, uh, you adapt and overcome. And I, in fact, in, within the EOD, I, I use this example where uh, every three person EOD team is given an entire shipping container full of tools from bomb suits to de-armors to power tools, chemical, hazmat, uh, decontamination kits, all everything that they might find uh, as far as explosive hazards go on the battlefield, we have a tool for it. And then we get sent uh, the team and our shipping container to the battlefield and we get this armored truck and the armored truck, we got to figure out what we're going to fit in there because we can't get the whole shipping container in there. So we got to leave some tools behind. So we pick, of course, the robots, the bomb suits and a few other things we can shove into the uh, nooks and crannies and boxes all around the truck. But then in Afghanistan, most of the patrols we were doing were on goat paths that we couldn't bring any vehicles. Mm. So now we've got our rucksacks. What can we fit on our backs? And usually it was some C4, some rope, maybe some carabiners and grappling hooks. And then we got to bring water and our food and ammunition. And that's it. We got to do a job with just some C4 and some rope. Yeah. So now I'm missing, I'm missing a couple of tools. Yeah. I still, I still have to be a soldier. I'm still, I'm still active duty until they, they let me go. Uh, I'm a father, you know, I'm a brother, son. Uh, uh, you know, there are all these roles that I still have to play. I can't give up. I right. have to carry on. Yeah, that's amazing, man. I, I just want to acknowledge you before we move on for, for taking something like that and turning it into, um, you know, a, a career path that you've, that you've now taken. So um, talk to me now about... The business. Uh, so like you get home, you realize, you know, I can't just roll over. I can't go down this spiral. I can see where it would lead and I don't want to be in that position. And I, like you said, I still have these roles to fill, right? I'm still, uh, I'm still a father. I still have these other things that I need to, One, but- that I, that I'm taking responsibility for in life. So, um, d- was, at that point, was it like, well, you know, I'm just going to focus on being a dad and I'm just going to like, you know, collect my, uh, disability check or was it more just like, I got to do something to occupy my mind. I, I want something more than just, you know, than just living. I want to, to produce and make a difference in people's lives. Like talk, talk to me about that whole thought process and what eventually led you to, uh, to now what, what you guys are doing with your, your cooking company. Um, you know, right after I gotten out of, uh, the hospital, Walter Reed, I went to, uh, blind rehabilitation, uh, at the VA hospital where they taught me how to use the cane and accessibility things, talking phones and computers. And I learned how to be blind. Uh, but then, you know, kind of being released into the wild. Now I've got to go use my new skills and prove that I can carry on. And I was so terrified of being stuck on the couch or stuck in the house and being sorry for myself and being, you know, popping pills or, you know, uh, being one of those uh, terrible uh, losses, uh, you know, suicides we have uh, with our military and our veterans. So I uh, may have 
uh, overcompensated. I started climbing mountains, running marathons, whitewater kayaking, and (laughs) (laughs) uh, anything I could do to really get out of the house. But it just success built on success. I found that I could do these things. And what happened was I was connecting with others that had already done uh, gone this way. Blind people, like uh, Eric Weinmayer, who's uh, uh, the only blind person to ever climb Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. If, I've, if that guy can do that, I can do. I can get out of the house. I sought him out. I climbed a mountain with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Just a couple of weeks ago, I climbed another one with him. Um, I found Lonnie Bedwell, the first blind person to kayak the entire Grand Canyon. And you know what? I went, I went kayaking with him. And these are the, I mean... It's the, like literally the definition of the blind leading the blind, but in this case, <laughs> a solid way of going about it, right? Absolutely right. Well, I was at the, uh, during this time, I was also speaking and I was, t- I was telling my story and I was telling them about how it's all about perspective, you know, and, and, and um, I was, uh, uh, you know, I was, I was finding success through challenging myself. It wasn't despite struggle. It was because of the struggle that I was growing stronger, more confident. I was growing my network. I was, you know, I was making more friends and I was adding value to other people's lives. Well, that's it for today's show. If you want more advanced networking strategies, as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high quality entrepreneurs in the group. There's dozens of video lessons on networking. There's monthly calls, there's accountability proofs and more all for the low investment of just 99 bucks a month. So head over to byninnercircle.com to jump in. That's byninnercircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We'll see you next time. Remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.